This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Ladies Who London podcast. I'm Emily Dell. And I'm Alex Lacey and we're qualified London Blue Badge tourist guides. Each week we bring to you some of the best bits of London. We talk about our favourite people, places and events with a bit of information, a lot of laughs and a whole lot of fun. We can be found on Instagram at Ladies Who London podcast and on our website skydemily.com. And alexlacey.com as well, ladieswholondon.com for the show notes and more information, plus where you can enter our competition running at the moment. Hurrah. How are you, Em? I am very well. The sun is out. Spring has sprung. It's lovely. I, I'm so excited with the, with, with the sunshine. It's phenomenal. Never let anybody tell you, listeners, that it rains all the time in London. It does not. It's been mm. gorgeous. Lies, absolute lies. It just brings so much good energy and positivity, doesn't it? I yeah, I'm feeling, I'm feeling in a really good mood. Yeah, me too. I've been out getting my vitamin D in the garden because I've had COVID, so I've not been able to go you out. Have. Although I've been, I, I've been very, very lucky because I've been pretty symptomless. Yeah. Um. So I've been stuck in, but I've been sitting in my garden because it's so nice out there. Yay. And you got your deck in soon to blow up your paddling pool again. Well, probably yeah, paddling pools. Probably well, maybe a bit early, but yeah, you know, never a bit know, early, never but know. still, you never know. Lovely. And, and um... oh, sorry, excuse me. Oh, <laughs> cheeky. Sorry, that was me exploding from the uh, the chocolate that I was eating. Um... <laughs> yes, a few chocolate fingers you've had, haven't you? I know, I know, which is crazy because I got lint in the house. But um, how, well, are you, how are you anyway? Funny that you should say about you lint. Into your because... lint yeah, you? No, we've been going a bit chocolate mad, haven't we? <laughs> yeah. um, and as you said at the beginning, we've got a fantastic competition. Yes. Um, which is now I think uh, I know that we, we have we had a ton of entries like an absolute ton which is great but keep going because we've got another week before we draw for the tickets but another three weeks before we draw for the one kilogram lint bunny and both Emily and I have been <laughs> sent a one kilo bunny and I can't actually believe how big it is <laughs> it is massive I I couldn't believe when I opened it up like I've never seen no. anything like this up close or held it you know I mean I've seen them in shops but this is pretty uh pretty exceptional you got, you got very excited didn't you because you said oh well they've sent us the bunny that we then have to send to the competition winner and I said, Emily, no, they've sent us a, a bunny for us. And she was like, what? <laughs> I literally just emailed the woman who sent it, just saying, can I just, um, can I double check I before check. I uh, start to eat this? Or face plant off it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then oh, I had a lot gosh. of fun doing a stop motion animation in which I skinned one of the bunnies to make the... Uh, uh, to make the the um, animation happen, which was a lot of fun. But um, yes, anyway, it wasn't a real bunny. Just to say, no, you know, people bunny. are thinking God skinned. No, it was a chocolate bunny. Chocolate bunny. Yeah. So it's the. Um, fact, I've still, I've, the bunny's gone, but the uh, this is the the, the wrapper still exists. Yeah. Um, which is a bit mean. But anyway, if you would like to enter our competition, a reminder: there were two prizes. One is to win tickets to either Hampton Court or Kensington Palace for their lint bunny hunt. And the other one is to win a 1kg uh, chocolate bunny. By 1kg! <laughs> Emily's so excited about. Um, and you can uh, enter for both things. Uh, so go onto the <laughs> website. Although I think we said it's UK-based only. Um, I mean, unless you happen to be 
from, I don't know, America or somewhere and you happen to be in London during the time when the Hampton Court Palace thing is on and you want to do it, of course, that's fine. Um, obviously, you need to get to the UK to, to come and, and, and do that. So if you're going to be here, then great, yeah. Um, knock yourself out by all means. Nice. I'm just remembering, uh, remembering when I told you that I'd received the bunny. <laughs> and I said, I'm not too sure if it's the 1kg bunny. And you were like, well, is it? Why don't you have a little look? And I sent you a photo of just like lots of numbers hoping that you'd say, yeah, that means 1kg. A thousand grams. Yeah, that, that's the one. Em. That's the one. <laughs> and I was like, is this it? <laughs> Oh anyway, um, last week on the podcast, we had, uh, I was so thrilled to get uh, Lara on. She's oh, such yes. a legend. And um, thank you so much, Lara, if you're listening, for coming on and chatting to us about mudlarking. Um, and it was, it, I mean, it's something that fascinates me. I know one of our colleagues, Russell, he bought his wife a mudlarking um, license for her birthday a couple of years ago. And she often goes down and tootles around and finds things. And, and I mean, what a lovely, I've, te- I've toyed with getting it myself, but... I just don't think I'd know what I'm looking at. <laughs> oh, well, what a fabulous thing. I actually do know somebody that uh, takes like kind of little bits of pottery and paints on them and then sells them. And I thought, oh, I better not say that to Lara because from what she was saying is that you should give most things back if it's you, of you importance. You just said it now. I've said it, but I haven't named them. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's... That's that's enough, Your Honour. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, moving on quite swiftly. Um, podcast pedestal. Yes, yes. So from that, um, from the fantastic stories that Lara told us, there were two outstanding points for us. Mm-hmm. The one for me was the Tudor shoe, which was the one where Lara found it. You know, the first person in in best part of two thousand years to touch this thing, and you've got the indents of the the toes, and it belonged to a child, and I mean, just really lovely, and it 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 resonated with me. You as goth guide went <laughs> went darker, didn't you? I did. I went for the skull. Yeah. This skull that is being analysed by the same person who analysed the bones of King Richard the Third that was found a few years back. Um, I just loved how. Lara was down there on that particular day, found this skull head, and there were, you know, conversations about him travelling to Australia to be analysed, and there's been so much conversation and thought about this and who this person Mm. is and was, um, that it's just so exciting. They know that he's about 200 years old, possibly was a prisoner. 200 years old? A couple of hundred years old. Was he? Yeah, I think she said about 19th century. Oh, I thought you meant when he died. (laughs) I feel like that should be a bigger headline. (laughs) Bit of a legend, that one, actually. What did they call him? Fred. Fred, I think, yeah. Fred in the Guinness World Record book. (laughs) Are we sure he was 200 years old? He might have found his skull, but be aware, he lived longer than anyone else on the planet. (laughs) I like the idea. She said they are going to try and possibly facially reconstruct, didn't she? And... Yes. What they did with Richard, the th- same that they did with Richard the Third. Actually, mm. have I ever told you my my very silly Richard the Third? Well, it's not really a joke. It's more of a comedy aside. Go on. All right. So you know that obviously they found him in the car park, buried in this car park. Um, so I, whenever I'm talking about Richard the Third, we go to the Tower of London and we talk about him. I always say he puts the king into parking. <laughs> I'm really sorry. Actually, I'm not sorry. I'm very proud of it. Oh, dear. <laughs> Um, that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> it's better than some of my jokes, in fairness. Well, yes, that's true. So anyway. Um, anyway, moving on. What did everybody vote for? Was it the skull or the shoe? Now, I have already told Emily that it is very tight this week. And I'm going to tell you that the percentages are 47 to 53. So which way do you think it's gone? You're currently ahead, aren't you? What are you... Yeah, like five, I'm, three, I'm storming ahead. Yeah, I think it's currently five three to Something me, like which is just madness. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I, I personally think that it's gone in your direction this week. Okay, so it's gone for shoe, has it? Yeah, I think it's gone for shoe, um, which you know was a brilliant choice. It has gone for shoe. It's yeah! gone for shoe. I'm back in the game. She's back, back in the game. So I can tell you actually, the scores are currently four six. So now it's it's uh well six six five six five oh, to okay. me. So um oh gosh, you're breathing on my neck. She's back. She's back. Yeah, she's baby. back. She's back. <laughs> there we go. Oh wow, fantastic. So, well, well done. 
this week it is your week isn't it because we kind of jiggled them around just because both you mm. and i were so insanely busy the week before that lara bless her heart came on early which was great um so we picked your place like actually two weeks ago didn't we uh, and what have you gone for babe so i have gone for a sculptor somebody i think actually a couple of weeks ago or maybe last week you said that this person was your favorite sculptor she is my favorite artist Mm. so we are of course talking about barbara hepworth yes and is there what is it about babs dame barbara hepworth that um you really love alex I, do you know what? It's funny because so I did art A-level. Um, I'm such a black sheep in my family. Everybody in my family are like scientists and this and the other. And I'm the whole, oh, let's sing and dance about it and make pictures. I'm, I'm such an artist. It's ridiculous. And I did art A-level and I'd never, I, I found art A-level quite hard. And I never quite got it. And I was like, well, you know, fine, whatever. Um, and then we, because I was down at school in the West Country in Taunton. And so for our kind of art A-level trip, we went down to Cornwall. We went to St Ives, mm. which is where her home is. And I don't know what it was, but within her garden, that's where she has put a load. That was where she wanted all of her pieces to be. She wanted them to be able to be interacted with. And you can walk through the garden, you can touch them, you can sit on them, you can, you know, and they sort of live in the garden. And I don't know what it was, but it, it just, it got me. It absolutely smacked me around the chops and I felt really emotional and I felt really like I'd found my spot. Mm. And it, that mm. was the first bit of art that ever really touched me. And I yeah. don't know that I've ever been touched by art like that again since then. Oh, gosh. Yeah. So no pressure, Em, just, you no know. No pressure. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's true. I think that her work holds this beautiful spirituality i mean she talked in her life so much about creating this balance and harmony in her work so it doesn't surprise me at all that these pieces really spoke to you and made you quite emotional because on paper you know if you read a, a little description of what they would look like maybe they wouldn't seem you know terribly exciting or too detailed but actually to see them up close there's so much movement and so much um, personality and emotion with them that, yeah, that doesn't surprise me at all that so you feel like that. Can you describe them for our listeners? Can you describe what, you know, what they look like, what she, what they what they would see if they went to see some of Babs's work? Yeah, so it kind of changed. I mean, she starts by creating these kind of figurative pieces where, say, for instance, she's creating a person or a body and most of her pieces look like there are two people kind of having a conversation or having a moment. But you're not going to see the nose, you're not going to see the outline of a face. But there is something about the way that she have carved it, either into stone or marble, where you can just sense that feeling. Um, later on down the line, she starts to move heavily in the direction of being an abstract artist where you have these shapes and even though the whole kind of um, shape of a human body is lost there is something about it that has that personality of a human and you can see and feel that emotion there are a lot of circles with these voids these empty sections and it's the emptiness and the voids that hold so much so much feeling and heaviness in parts sometimes they're colored sometimes you've got these kind of bits of string they're meant to look like waves or look like something that you'll find on a hilltop or it will speak to you as if it's a person yeah if that makes sense it does. um yeah cool so barbara hepworth born in 1903, so 20th century artist, sculptor, uh, born in Wakefield in Yorkshire. And she, in her lifetime, produced nearly 600 pieces. This woman didn't stop. And they're not, a lot, a lot of her pieces, they're not small either, are they? They're enormous, great things. No, they're massive. They're humongous pieces. And even though some of them are huge and you've got these voids missing, still the the time and effort it must have taken to to know exactly where she wanted bits to be and to carve straight into marble and stone or bronze 
you know it's it's a very it's a very lengthy and time consuming operation mm. um now she was constantly on the move as a child her father was a county surveyor so she would remember these long car journeys where she was going through the land around yorkshire and just being really excited about the landscape and the geology of the land and seeing all these kind of crazy shapes and she in a lot of interviews talks about how childhood is so important and she says that a lot of people try to say what is trapped in their childhood during their adult life Ooh. yeah so it's kind of like your your mission is to try and say and release the feelings you had and explain the feelings you had as a child but as an adult mm. Mm. Um, they didn't have that much money growing up and in a lot of her interviews she talks so passionately about her mother about her mother being a really beautiful woman so hard working and worked you know as much as she possibly could to pay for a passion that Barbara had at a young age which was actually music oh wow okay yeah she loved performing and she actually received a music scholarship and with this, at the age of 15, she said that she wanted to become a sculptor. And she talks about how... A bit of a bummer when she's like, <laughs> I bought you a bloody violin and a cello <laughs> yeah. and all of this, and now you want a paintbrush. Come on, girl. <laughs> well, she talks about how the music, with a feeling, there are shapes. So when you play uh, yeah. the violin, um, within the air she could imagine these kind of shapes that were moving i guess it's kind of like sound wave if you like where if you actually saw the sound wave you would notice the the inflections and how it changed but it's also things like you know if you're moving the bow and your arm the shapes that they make mm. and and you know all that kind of thing yeah absolutely um one thing that she was fascinated with was the pyramids in egypt and a lot of her work has these really kind of earthy shapes these kind of geometric strong shapes that takes your attention straight away Mm. um she went to leeds school of art which is where she met a very famous sculptor who we i'm sure have spoke about quite a lot because his work is all over london and that is do you know i'm assuming henry moore exactly exactly so they were really good friends and actually they were the first kind of people who decided not to make molds first of all out of clay you know so say for instance they had an idea of what they wanted to do usually you would create this idea in miniature in small in clay and then you would start to carve these shapes into marble or stone but they just went for it straight away and they just started to carve straight into the stone which was pretty pretty unheard of actually during this time and remember this is the early 1900s um, she was awarded a diploma of the Royal or from the Royal College of Art in 1923. So she's being noticed. People yeah. are aware of her. It's still pretty hard, of course, because she's a woman. And being a woman in the 1920s, as an artist, you're going to be heavily overshadowed, of course. Yeah. Yeah. She travels uh, to Italy. She lives in Florence for a little while. She studies architecture, early Renaissance art. And this is where she marries or meets and then marries an artist called John Skeepin. Mm. Have you heard of John Skeepin? Yes, uh, I have, uh, in, in connection with Barbara Hepworth. Mm. So specialised in sculptures of animals. Animals? animals? Animals! Sorry, I suddenly went right down into my uh, my old Essex roots there. Not the animals. <laughs> Not the animals. <laughs> um, so quite different to Barbara Hepworth. I mean, still kind of creating sculptures and you've got that um, emotion within the piece, but uh, but just fascinated with, with animals. Animals. her first exhibition she actually um, did this with John Skeepin this was a a joint exhibition in the 1920s Um, and both of their pieces were absolutely adored and they actually did a piece together which was of two doves a pair of doves um, that were created in this beautiful marble which is now in a gallery in Manchester oh nice I don't think I've seen that one Mm, it's really beautiful I'll put a picture up on Insta 
Um, and then she creates the first of many mother and child pieces. Mm. And if anybody's been into St Paul's Cathedral, you might have seen um, the mother and child piece by... Uh, Henry Moore. Mm-hmm. Do you talk about that inside St Paul's? I do. Yeah, if we've got time. Yeah, it's mm. a really lovely piece. Yeah, and we'll a pop a picture bit... of that on the uh, on on the show notes as well, so you can. Have yeah, it. yeah, and a little bit like um, Barbara Hepworth. Actually, they're quite similar in the fact that they've been carved from one piece of marble, and you have these kind of these empty areas where um, you can imagine. The, the feeling and an arm being around there within the next second, if that makes sense. So it's even though it's a still piece, having these sections which are empty, you can almost imagine where the next movement of the person is going to be. So where the mother is holding the baby, there's so much movement in this kind of section that you imagine to be a shoulder. You imagine the shoulder kind of going down and the arm extending around the child. It's uh, it's incredibly touchable, and you talked about how... You are actually allowed to touch it as well, aren't you? Yes. Yeah, actually, the one inside St Paul's Cathedral, Henry Moore's one, you are allowed to touch yeah. it. You're encouraged to. Um, and now, I, I don't know what it was like when you went to the garden in Cornwall. Were you allowed to touch her pieces? Yes, I think so. Ah, Quite a while okay. ago now. I might, yeah, I might be wrong about that, but... I definitely did touch them. Whether or not I was allowed to is another matter. Well, but as you said, you know, she created them to be interacted with. She wanted people to touch them. She wanted people to to feel them. And a lot of the materials that she was using were beautiful materials that you can only really kind of get to know when you put your hands upon them. And actually, um, she did quite a few pieces for uh, schools that had blind children. So she, oh, um, she? I didn't know that. yeah, so she would um, allow children to kind of put their hands over, and she would use, um, in particular, materials that were really kind of bitty and quite gritty. So your fingers and your hands would feel all of these little bubbly bits. And then it was up to them to try and decipher what the artist was trying to get at with the piece. Yeah, um, and that's it. Art is about it's it's about being for everyone, isn't it? So actually, mm. it's lovely to be able to incorporate people who can't see the art but want to experience it in a different way. Exactly. So much of art is oh, don't touch. Yeah. Boring. Yeah. Especially now, it's terrible. I just did um. As a, um, I just did a Tate Modern tour, and in there you've got pieces by Phila de Barlow, and mm. she does these extraordinarily large, huge industrial pieces created so that people can touch them and kind of, um, kind of get to know them. But you know they're in galleries now where yeah. they're so cordoned off that you really can't can't do what the artist intends you to do, which is yeah. just such a shame, isn't it? Yeah. Um, now they have child together Paul Skeepin so this is the first of four children to come Um, one child with uh, Skeepin and three children with the next man that she's going to marry which is Ben Nicholson Mm. Um, and she met Ben when she was with John Skeepin so two years after marrying John Skeepin, she was introduced to this painter, Ben Nicholson, who does or did these kind of block colours which are quite reminiscent to uh, Henry Matisse's work. Mm. And they apparently were very in tune with each other in terms of their art and she fell for him, he fell for her and they both ended up leaving their partners for each other. He's, and Ben Nicholson is the name that when you talk about uh, a, a sort of a love affair of Barbara Hepworth he's the name that usually comes up isn't he yeah yeah absolutely now Ben Nicholson actually had a family friend who you and I both know well we've never personally? met him but um, no not personally unfortunately oh. but J.M. Barry oh casual yeah so J.M. Barry the producer of Peter Pan and he actually created a poster for Peter Pan which was inspired by a childhood drawing that Nicholson did when he was just 10 years old Oh wow! So oh gosh, okay. So he, 
Ben Nicholson didn't do the poster, but Jay and Barry No, is. but he was inspired Basically. by a little drawing oh, that Ben oh. Nicholson did. That's yeah. lovely. Didn't know yeah. that. So um, at this point, Barbara Hepworth is kind of trying to juggle the fact that she's married and she wants to produce so much art, but of course she's got to uh, look after her child. So she's really trying to juggle as much as she possibly can. Um, and wanting to create as many pieces as possible but kind of having to to scale back I guess Mm. Um, at this point they live in Hampstead in North London which was very close to quite a few um, significant artists of the day Henry Moore actually lived not too far away from them and they would go on quite a few holidays together oh nice and then we have the first whole sculpture and it's the holes as i say which barbara hepworth is really well known for in her artwork so her first piece that had a hole um, was called or is called pierced form and was produced in 1932 and a lot of her pieces they have this kind of positive tone and she talks about how she would always stop producing her artwork if she was having a bad day or her emotions weren't positively charged so if she felt that she was angry at all then she would stop producing her pieces because she wanted the feeling of happiness and joy to go in them that's so lovely yeah and i think that you see that when you see her pieces they do make me really happy Mm. especially the pierced ones and i think it's always the word it's always the word pierced as well Mm. I don't know there's something about pierced rather than you know a hole or anything I don't know there's something about it that it just it's quite it feels quite human to pierce something and I don't mean like ears or anything but to have something that kind of I don't know makes its way through the form and creates the form into something else I don't know what it is about it but it uh it resonates for some yeah bizarre reason absolutely and she talks about how that inside section is so important and she before this you know she would create these kind of oval shapes these huge kind of uh round pieces that look like the globe or kind of um uh, a tapered globe in parts and then creating these pierced sections it allows you to experience the inside of the marble or the stone or Mm. whatever material she's creating or using um and she talks about you know things like diamonds and shells and the baby in the womb it's the inside that is also so precious and so important and she really tries to capture that within her work that's so lovely Mm. Um, we then have triplets. <laughs> so Simon, Rachel and Sarah come along in the 1930s, I think 1934. And she says, it was a tremendously exciting event. We were only prepared for one child and the revi- arrival of free babies by six o'clock in the morning meant considerable improvisation for the first few days. <laughs> so of course, this is the, the time when I guess they didn't know when the doctors... Yeah couldn't tell that there was three in there you wouldn't have been doing scans would you it would have been sort of a little ear thing to the tummy and i guess it's probably quite easy to miss yeah signs of more than one (laughs) yeah uh... definitely so as you can imagine you know if she's juggling art and marriage life and being a mum with one child with four suddenly on the go you know pretty crazy times um and this is where it changes a little bit her work. She decides to add a little bit of colour at this stage because before the late 1930s, you would have just seen the colour of the natural stone or marble um, or the really beautiful kind of brown wood that she would have used. Mm. But then she starts to use colours just one colour mainly at first so you would see kind of this white piece that looked like a bit of a broken shell and then inside it you've got this gorgeous kind of turquoise colour and it just lifts the piece and it just gives it that really friendly open fresh atmosphere uh, inside and feeling um, and actually, she took her first piece that had colour with her when war was declared. And oh. her and her husband, Nicholson, and the children decide to leave London. Oh, right. <laughs> and this is, excuse me, this is when they leave for Cornwall, 
which you mentioned, of course, is where her home was. It's where you can find the museum now, where you can mm. find the garden with all of her pieces on display. And this was actually an invitation by an art critic called Adrian Stokes, who said, look, come to Cornwall, come here. It's going to be safe here. I can put you up. Um, I can look after you guys. And she was very worried about this. I mean, she was used to city life. She, uh, you know, she'd been in London for quite some time at this point. Didn't really know Cornwall, didn't know what to expect. They um, put everything in the car, including this massive sculpture that's got this colour inside. She's like, I'm not going anywhere without this bloody sculpture. I love it. <laughs> Kids, move out of the way. You hold this, you hold that. Um, apparently, they um, they arrive at night. The rain is pouring down. You've got four tired children. And she really didn't know what to expect until she woke up in the morning, looked out of the window and thought, wow, this is absolutely stunning. And she goes for a walk and they're very close to the coast where they're staying. And she just looks at the sea and looks at the crashing waves and looks at all the colors of the stone and the pebbles and the shells. And is just so inspired. And there's this lovely feeling of community, which Cornwall has, I think. Do yeah. you think that? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think there's an element of now, you know, lots of people from London having second homes there and things like that, which I think is is maybe taking away from that a little bit. But generally, yeah, Cornwall's got a de- I mean, definitely an identity and a, and a sense of community, yeah. Mm, yeah, yeah, I think so. I've been a couple of times and there's definitely this feeling that if you lived there, you would feel so part of it. Mm. Um and very welcomed and I think that's how how she felt and obviously during this time you know war's just being declared everybody's kind of on the edge so that feeling of kind of camaraderie is just so important and the fact that she felt that when it was somewhere that was quite alien to her not completely alien but you know completely different to her Mm. um I think says a lot about the people in Cornwall how she felt so welcomed absolutely Uh, It's a lovely quote. She talks about, uh, you know, how she felt or what she saw. Um, She says, the sea, a flat diminishing plane held within itself the capacity to radiate an infinite number of blues, greys, greens and even pinks of strange hues. So this kind of um, excitement for colour, you know, is really starting to take hold of her. Yeah. And this is where she starts to introduce marbles that have got different tones, where the veins bleed blue and green. And you might remember from going into her garden, I haven't personally been, but I've seen these fantastic images. There's a lot of her structures which have that kind of turquoisey blue green veined marble mm, do you remember really seeing them yeah absolutely and they're they're so stunning and i think maybe that's what i don't know makes them a bit human or or at least sort of natural and i don't know mm. yeah but they are really gorgeous mm. and before this before her move to cornwall she was doing a lot of sculptures that as i say related to people so you would see kind of um these shapes that were side by side that might look like uh, two people having a conversation or two soldiers that perhaps weren't allowed to face each other but would have this quiet conversation shoulder to shoulder. Mm. Um, And then when she moves to Cornwall, suddenly you have these shapes which really connect with the wind, connect with the sky, connect with the waves crashing. Um, So yes, it's, it's definitely well I, th- I think kind of helped her work they say that she made some of the best work when she she moved to Cornwall and she started doing kind of sculptures that were a bit like waves didn't she with that lovely kind of curling form and mm. and the you know the strings and everything like that I mean gorgeous yeah definitely she also she um produces fantastic paintings and they're known as the surgery paintings. She spent a lot of time in hospitals, sometimes 10 hours a day, and she would observe these doctors who were performing surgery on people with their ears, with their nose, with their throat. Hang on, they were performing it with their ears? 
Uh, no, uh, f- uh, for their ears. <laughs> oh. Did I say with their ears? Well, they, you know, they like, need their ears as well. That's a serious skill to be able to perform <laughs> surgery with your ears and your nose. <laughs> yeah, you know. Is that why that? they call them ENT specialists? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sorry, that's not what I meant. But um, you My know, if people went, needed what? <laughs> what if people needed ear surgery or nose surgery or a lot of the face? then Barbara Hepworth would um, sit in on these operations and she would look at all the surgeons and just be so fascinated by their connection towards each other and what their hands were doing and what their bodies were doing and how relaxed they needed to look for the patient and mm. the way they moved harmoniously with e- uh, within each other, within this group. So she's produced these fantastic images. Have you ever seen her surgery pictures? I've seen one or two, yeah. Um, but I can't actually call them to mind. So I'm going to have to look them up, I think. Yeah, yeah. I'll put some pictures online as well. Um, so she talks about the, the beauty of purpose between humans saving life. Um, you know, these people that have got uh, such terrible... Um, uh different things that they need sorting in the way of surgery and you've got these people that you're just putting your life into their hands and um yeah she's really captured this in a beautiful way in these pictures so she doesn't just do these sculptures she also does these flat fantastic paintings as well or did um, now, one piece, and there are quite a few of her pieces in London, one piece, uh, thousands of people, probably millions of people actually walk past it on a daily basis. And this is a piece that you can find along Oxford Street. Yes, yeah, so this is where it was linked to for this week, I think, wasn't it? You picked Oxford Street for this one. Oh, did I? I oh, no, so. I think I picked um, Pimlico. I picked oh, did the you? Tate oh, Britain. You did. I can't remember. Yeah. It was two weeks ago, and that's an age. Yeah, age ago, for heaven's sake. <laughs> um, so yes, the John Lewis building, if you are walking along Oxford Street, look up at it and you will see uh, what is actually called the winged figure. Have you seen this, Alex? Not only have I seen it, but if... And I used, I used to work back when I had a proper job, um, as my mother used to call it. Um, <laughs> I used to work nearby and, you know, Oxford Street's quite full on. It's quite busy and what have you and I quite like going down the little street and just standing and having a moment with it it's like a nice little spot to to just regroup if I'm finding Oxford Street a bit overwhelming yeah yeah absolutely and there's quite a bit of art actually along Oxford Street Mm. it's so easy to miss because you know you're like I've got to get to these shops get out of my way um but yes so you've got this humongous figure it's 19 foot tall it's made out of aluminium and she produced it in 1963 and it's called the winged figure because it literally looks like it's got its wings spread open. I mentioned briefly earlier that some of her pieces look like they have kind of string or wire mm. within it as if it's kind of like almost like a guitar yeah. um, or a harp that needs to be played. Well, you have that with within winged figure. You have these kind of uh, long pieces of metal. And when the sun hits it, it just constantly changes because mm. you have these shadows of the day that's moving around with it. Yeah, it's beautiful. Mm. And it's lovely to have that just on the side of a building that is, you know, a kind of a sort of a mecca to commercialisation and, and shopping. And then you just get a moment of beauty, you get a moment of art and just, mm. you know, it's just there to, to be appreciated. I love it. Yeah, definitely. And she was asked when, you know, um, she was coming up with ideas to produce this piece. They wanted to um, have some kind of content or something that expressed the idea of common ownership and common interests, which mm. the partnership of John Lewis had. Yeah. So, um, so, yeah, so she produced this humongous winged figure, which looks like a bird that's about to take off. Um, and it was actually produced in her studio in St Ives. Oh, right, okay. So it's quite crazy to think that it would have been hauled all the way to London <laughs> and through the narrow streets. And then it's not to get small, to... is it? It's, it's, it's not. It's, no, it's as pretty... I say, it's 19 foot tall. It's huge. Yeah. Um, and apparently as soon as it went up she was pretty annoyed because this lamppost suddenly went up next to it and she was like no (laughs) (laughs) I don't want people looking at the lamppost Um, but yeah I have to say I've never noticed the lamppost so there we go that's one a win for Bob's 
and I think you can tell quite a lot about an artist if you look at the title of their pieces. So a lot of her pieces kind of stand in figure, figure of a woman, head, forms, two forms, mother and child, large and small form, free forms, nesting stones. So uh, a lot of it is about relationships, relationships with people, relationships with people and nature or relationship of nature to nature. Yeah. Um, you've got a piece which is called Pelagos, which means the open sea in Greek. And this is made of elm wood. It's uh, got this beautiful white inside with these strings. And to look at it, you might not necessarily get what she was thinking straight away, but I'm sure it would remind you of something it has this kind of leap. It's almost as if um, you've got the wind or uh, the sea, or she talks about how it being the wing of a seabird that is flying around or caught in a little kind of storm. And it's one of my favourite pieces of hers, actually. Yeah, it's yeah. so beautiful, and you just want to. I just want to. I almost want like want to hug it or I want to grab it or yeah. yeah there's something about her work that instantly makes you want to put out your hand and just run your hand over the material and the shape and feel that curve yeah um now the studios in St Ives she acquired them in um the 1950s and she lived there permanently until her death and the studio I mean as you I mean you've been yourself Mm. it's huge space isn't it yeah yeah it really is and it's it's sort of on the edge of the house and it's kind of within the garden so it's you know it's all there it's all you know part of the space that she is being inspired by is part of the the studio really it's wonderful yeah were you allowed to pretty much go everywhere yeah i think so yeah um Mm. you definitely go do you go into the studio do you i think you might just see into the studio okay um which has been set back up the way that it would have been but um yeah, I can't remember fully, but I just remember the gardens overwhelmingly so. Hmm. Um, and well, it's in her studio where she created quite a lot of her famous work, one of which being Contrapuntal. Contrapuntal. I think I've got that right. Contrapuntal <laughs> forms. Easy for you which... to say. Contrapuntal. <laughs> Contra- oh, God. Help me out here, Alex. Contrapuntal. Contrapuntal. Yeah. What is Contrapuntal. Um, it means um, sort of two things that kind of go against each other. Uh, so um, not quite aligned, you know, two things. Oh, that, interesting. Does that make sense? Oh, okay. Well, it makes her work seem like it makes more sense now to me. Okay, there you go. <laughs> so this is a piece that was created for the Festival of Britain, which you and I have spoke about on a previous episode. yeah. yeah. Um, the Festival of Britain took place in 1951. It was 100 years since the the um, the Great Exhibition over in Hyde Park, and this was all along the South Bank. And uh, this piece was created especially for it. So suddenly, these two gigantic, huge blocks of Galway limestone arrived in her studio, and she was like, "Right, okay, better get to work with the Festival of Britain piece." Yeah. And so it's um, these two forms, you know, you talk about um, contrapuntal, 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 these things going against each other. They kind of go together, but slightly, they they go together, but they're not identical. They sort of complement each other whilst being a bit different. That's how I sort of Uh, see it. Okay, well, that makes sense because you've got these two standing figures and they do look very similar, but there's you can tell that they are different. You can tell they are meant to be different people. Um, Yeah. I don't think I know that one, actually. I have to look that one up. Yeah, yeah. It's moved around a little bit. For a little while, it was over in Harlow in Essex. Mm. Um, So, yes, there's some brilliant pictures, actually, of it being near the, what was it called, the Skylon you know that huge, oh yeah, the huge big sculpturey thing that was, yeah, yeah, that looked like it was um suspended. It was kind of like hovering yeah, over the, the South spacecraft. Bank, <laughs> yeah, which is the thing that you went for actually. I think on the that podcast was my pedestal, podcast pedestal, wasn't it? Pick, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, now she received so many different awards. I mean, I mentioned Dame, so she 
um, got a damehood or was knighted, if you like, um, and so was Dame Barbara Hepworth. And from this received lots of different commissions, one of which was to create a piece which stands um, in front of the United Nations building in New York. And this is a piece which is called The Divided Circle. Have you seen this? No, I've not, actually. And I did, don't think I knew that she had a piece there. Or if I did know, I've forgotten. And now I'm cross with myself that I didn't... Because I Barbara Hepworth is the kind of person that I will go out of my way to find her work. Mm. So, um, yeah, I will... Yeah, it's... Um, oh, sorry, I said Divided Circle. It's called Single Form, this piece. Um, and this piece is... It's 21 feet, so it's huge. It's cast in bronze. And the way I would describe it... Now, this is a bit a bit of a strange thing, but bear with me. And you're going to be like, oh, golf guide. Um, <laughs> have you ever done the Ouija board? <laughs> no, because I'm a complete chicken. And I okay. never... Okay, so there's the movie as well, which is called Ouija board. And there's this, there's this particular object that you put your fingers on oh, and yeah, there is a seen... hole in yeah. there's one hole and you move it around it almost looks like the shape of a leaf with a hole in and yeah. then the hole would go over the letters yeah um so it's like that but it's absolutely massive um so this was actually quite dear to her heart because it was in dedication to the secretary for the united states it was united nations secretary a man called general uh, Dag Hammerskold, you know me and my <laughs> blooming pronunciation. <laughs> Apologies if I've offended anybody. That's probably pronounced Smith, isn't it? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Hammerskold or Schlold, I okay. believe. And this particular general, this man, admired her work for years um, and collected her work as well. So uh, when he was passed away, she was asked to create something in dedication to him. And it now, as I say, stands in front of the United Nations building in New York. And it's, wow. it's huge. Yeah, it's like this big sphere. It's got a hole in the middle. Um, and she created quite a few of them. She did a, a, a version which was exactly the same size just for herself. I think because I guess the, the appreciation or the love that she had for this particular man because they were friends, um, it meant so much to her to have the same kind of piece close to her as well. Right. Um, when I'm a multimillionaire, I'm buying a Barbara Hepworth. Oh, have you got one it. in mind that you want? No, I'll see what's I'll I'll see what's available when I when I make my millions. Yeah, uh, exactly. I think yeah. we'd all. I mean, yeah, I'll I'll buy you one as well if you like. Oh, that would be fantastic! Yeah. Yes, please, yes, please. Right. Barbara Hepworth's all round. Yes. Um, now, as we reach the nineteen seventies, um, unfortunately, at this point, she's very unwell and she's not very mobile. She's drinking quite heavily. And it's at this point when it's said that she would take quite a few sleeping pills to try and get to sleep. So she would often have a cigarette in her bedroom. And it's believed that this is how she died in the end, because she died in 1975 in her studio in St. Ives, which is now the museum and garden, um, within a house fire. Yeah. And many people believe in that it was cause because she'd taken a sleeping pill and she was smoking at the time, which is just so sad, isn't it? Really sad. And what, mm. what a terrible way to go as well. Mm. But they have recreated the studio down there. So they've sort of re-put things back out and, you know. Um, then there was a piece that she was working on, I think, when she died, which was never quite finished. So that's in there. Oh, well. really? Mm. I think if ah. I remember rightly. It's been a while, but... Oh, it's been a while okay. since I was doing my exams age 18. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, so, yeah, so that was in 1975 when she died. And she's buried in uh, Cornwall. Mm. And the the building, the studio, was turned into a place that pub, the public could go to um, from 1976. So just literally a year later, after oh. she died, her family decided to um, allow people to go in. Um, it's been run by the Tate, um, and it's been yeah. run by the Tate since the 1980s. So you might have heard of Tate Modern, Tate Britain. It's the same same group mm -hmm. of people. 
And they say that most of the sculptures, especially in the garden, are in the position that she put them in. So there's something quite lovely about moving through that space, knowing that kind of that's how she would have seen it herself. Yeah. And they try to um, try to not modify it or change it too much so people get that feeling when they go in. And it is lovely. And one of the things about it is that you kind of you just wander and you you find things as you go and Mm. they you know you don't sort of it's not like going into a gallery and you go oh here are all the things now look at them Mm. you wander around the garden and you kind of go oh look at lovely green things oh wait there's another one in the bushes over there and it's it's so lovely Mm. it really is and there are pieces of her work is so many different Mm -hmm. parts of the world and because you've got these pierced areas they're lovely to frame things you'll find a lot of a lot on the edge on the coast so you get the the waves crashing behind or you can see them in front of like a huge wheat farm um and as i mentioned they do have this this very light positive feeling and she had some horrible things that went on in her life i didn't even mention that um, her first son actually passed away he died in a plane crash so there were you know there's a lot of sadness within her life within her biography um but when it comes to her work as i mentioned she would she would perform if you like when she was creating these pieces in a very positive light-hearted well open-hearted way um, Wakefield, I did mention it's where she was born and you can also find the Wakefield Art Gallery um, and this was open in 2011 and okay. this is a gorgeous building it almost looks like a modern castle you've mm. got this uh, element of water this moat that circles around it and it's gorgeous it's um, apparently quite high on top of a hill so okay. there's quite a few places within the area of Wakefield that you can see it I think that sounds like somewhere I'm going to have to go at some point yeah definitely and they have a lot of her work but they also um, show quite a lot of um, other art by different people who have mm. the same similar style to her or a connection to her but you're right they, they, they do pop up all over the world and I've been in so many different places where I've suddenly gone wait wait that's a Babs and like I can I can sort of sniff out a Barbara Hepworth um the minute I see them I always get very excited and I remember um I used to do uh tours to Netherlands quite a lot and there's a place there's this park called the Hoge Veluwe which is this lovely wood um kind of nature reserve out outside Amsterdam uh, kind of in the east and in there is a museum called the Kroller Muller Museum which has a ton of Barbara Hepworth sculptures and they are outside so you can go and kind of commune with them and it's really lovely but I've been in so many different places and I, I can't remember there was one a couple of years ago I don't even know where I was and I just went wait that's a Barbara mm. and you can just sort of spot them um I don't know yeah I, I really love them mm, just know her style yeah. that is your party trick I can sniff out a Barbara Hepworth <laughs> Yeah, got two party tricks. One is sniffing out Barbara Hepburn's, the other one is sweating. Neither of which are useful, but that's what I've got. <laughs> you work with what you've got. Exactly. Well, there we go. That's it for Barbara Hepworth this week. Thank you, Em. What a legend. She is She is phenomenal. And if anyone out there isn't aware of Barbara Hepworth's work, I strongly recommend going and finding her stuff. Where else can you see? So she's in the Tate Britain. She's in the Tate Britain. Um, There's a piece in the Tate Modern, isn't there as well? Or maybe sometimes, but it's not always on show. I've definitely seen some of her work there. Yes, there's a piece which again, and I don't think it's on show at the moment, but it was called Mother and Child, or maybe it's Child and Mother, which it almost looks like, um, kind of like something that you'll find in a toilet cubicle. Um, No, I mean that in the most respected, kind of respectful way. The best toilet cubicle. (laughs) It kind of looks like um, a large tic-tac that's got this... uh, this yes, void in the mean. middle. Do you know what I mean? I know exactly which what Which is mean, horizontal. Yeah. And then there's one behind it, which again looks like this big tic-tac with a hole in um, <laughs> that is vertical. And instantly you know that's the mother and that's the child. So that one has been in the Tate Modern, but I don't think it is at the moment. I think we've got our podcast title for this week. Barbara Hepworth, tic-tacs and toilets. <laughs> tic-tacs and toilets. God <laughs> bloody <laughs> Um, but yeah, she's oh. also got. There's also this um, Tate in St Ives, as well as our home there yeah. as well, and and there are museums all over the world that have got um, Barbara Hepworth pieces. So um, keep your eyes peeled and let us know what you think. If you've seen a Barbara Hepworth, um, or if you're going to go and find one, then um, you know, let us know. Let us yeah, know your thoughts. Let us know. 
she's a bit fab thank you so much em thank you, you for are very very welcome doing doing justice to my favorite artist oh um, good this episode is brought to you by sax.com at sax.com it's easy to find your new vibe Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Podcast Pedestal. So for your podcast pedestal pick, what are you going to go for? I know exactly what I'm going to go for. I've got my Do you? Pencil. Yep. But it's your first choice, so you go. Okay. The move to Cornwall. Damn you, woman! <gasps> really? Was that what you were going to That was going to be my one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. In I that... always know that I've picked a good one if you say that that's what you were going to go for. <laughs> you say that? I've been losing the last few weeks. Mm, okay, okay. In that case, in that case, whatever. Um, what am I going to come up with then? Okay, let me think, let me think. In that case, I'm going to have to, aren't I? I'm going to have to go for the um, the the piece on Oxford Street. Ah, okay. The winged figure. Yes, because for okay. me, that is, it's a really lovely, uh, oh, am I? Okay. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm going to go for the garden in her home in St. Ives. Because that's ah, the thing okay. that, I, that I fell in love with years ago. And I'd be untrue to myself if I didn't. So I'm going to go for the the garden with all the sculptures uh, in her home in St. Ives. Because I think that's where, that, that's how she wanted them to be seen. That's where she put them. That's where you can still to this day go and experience them in the same way. They are there. They are natural. It's incredible. So yeah, I'm going for her home in, in St. Ives. Yeah, I think you should. I mean, you know, you talked about how the art literally slapped you in the face yeah. as soon as you saw it there. So I think, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And you're going for her move to St. Ives. Her move to St. Ives, her move to Cornwall, such an important time in her life. It, it, yeah, it really was. And it does mm. very much, in, in you know, mm. inspire her work. So there we go. Those are your picks, gang, mm-hmm. for this week. Mm. I will put them up on Instagram on Sunday so make sure you let us know absolutely which one you're going for the wheel of destiny so uh, it is time to spin the wheel for this week and next week is me it's my pick so um, I don't have any particular uh, sort of angle for anything I'm just going to see where it lands and pick whatever I don't have any have we done we've done quite a few people haven't we do we need a place or a place or a thing, an event. Okay, let, let's let's just spin it and see what happens. Okay, cool. I've changed a lot of the things on the wheel. Actually, I've put some new things in. So you say this every let's week. See. I'm starting to worry. We're going back to the beginning. <laughs> I've changed it all again, and it's back as, as it once was. Okay, go for it. You ready? Yep. Oh god, you're gonna laugh. It's actually landed on Common Garden. Oh, well, hey, we haven't been there for a while, I don't think, have we? Oh, okay, good. I thought you were going to go like, oh, my God, again? Well, no, but, you know, there's a, there's a ton of stuff around Covent Garden, so that's that's okay. Uh, let me have a little look at my... Li- oh, okay, I know I said we should maybe do a place or a thing or an event, but I'm going to go for a people. A people? I'm going to go for a two people. Two people? Yeah. Um, I'm going to go for two people that I found out about recently, and they are super interesting and actually we are looking a little bit at some lgbt history Ooh, love it which is rather fun um because we haven't touched on lgbtq history for a while so i'm going to talk about thomas bolton and frederick park have you heard of these two thomas bolton and frederick park i don't think i have maybe thomas bolton has come up before okay um oh i'm excited alex yeah thomas bolton and frederick park their story or stories i suppose are very interesting very interesting so linked to covent garden in fact there's two places i can link them to um there's the strand theater and there's also bow street magistrates court in fact i think maybe let's let's um link them into bow street magistrates court because that's quite interesting there okay fab which reminds me, we never got on the director from the museum, did we? So, um, 
yeah maybe that's another one for a future podcast she, we never managed to get her back yeah um i'm thinking out loud now anyway listeners from the from way back will remember um that we were supposed to have her on and then due to some family stuff she couldn't make it so maybe we'll try and get her on another week that'd be brilliant mm-hmm. fantastic well that's us for that's another nice week, week. Thank you so much for coming and listening, everybody. Thank you, Emily, for uh, a wonderful chat about Babs. And don't forget, everybody, keep going and entering the competition. Um, there's some pretty good chances of winning things, which is great. Um, and we're gonna we're gonna let people know next week, aren't we? Um, for the yeah, tickets. So next week for the tickets, but next then there'll be the two tickets. more weeks for the lint bunny. So um, yeah, that's the one. Yeah, I'm so. Sure Remember to let us know about your favourite Easter Easter moments and why Absolutely. you love Easter. It's been so fun so far reading yeah. all of your comments and messages that have come in. So, yeah, keep them coming, please. Yeah, absolutely. So this is your last week to get the tickets to Hampton Court or Kensington Palace of your choice. Um, and then, yeah, chocolate will we'll carry on for another couple of weeks. <laughs> so next week, we'll have some winners for you. Yay! Yay. Brilliant. <laughs> So there we go, that's it. Thank you so much for coming and listening. Um, Thank you, everybody. We'll see you next week. See you next week. Take care. Bye.